If you have ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you're going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. Both links will be in the episode description if you are interested. I just wanted to give a quick content warning for this episode. In this episode, I do briefly talk about sexual assault. So if you need to skip this episode, I understand. But this is a very lengthy episode, and I just talk about the sexual assault briefly. And I will give you a warning before I start talking about it, and I will also leave a timestamp of when I start talking about it and when I stop talking about it in the description. So if you want to just skip over the sexual assault part, you can. Alright, now let's get into this episode. The Tudor era, for the most part, was rocky. It started with King Henry VII usurping the throne from another usurper, King Richard III. So right from the start, it was rough. Under the Tudors, England saw wars, an unstable economy, and ongoing power struggles between Catholics and Protestants. So I'm sure it was a shock to everyone when the Tudor that never was supposed to have the throne became the longest and most successful Tudor to reign. Sure, Queen Elizabeth I's reign also brought England wars, but not nearly as many as King Henry VIII's did. And there were still some power struggles between Catholics and Protestants, but for a good part of her reign, she tried her best to find the middle ground between the two religions. And the unstable economy flourished with her at the realm. This time in history isn't called the Golden Age for nothing after all. Hi, I'm Courtney Jewell, and you are listening to the 15th episode of the first season of History Shelf. A podcast about history that proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. For the first season of this podcast, I am talking about something that I find to be very interesting, and that's Tudor history. Now, when I think of Tudor history, the first person that comes to my mind is King Henry VIII. But I'm not talking about him per se. Rather, I'm focusing in on his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And if you have listened to any of the other episodes this season... I'm sure you've figured it out by now that there was a lot of overlap between his inner circle and the people he was an asshole to. And for this week, I am talking about Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I of England was born on September 7, 1533 in Greenwich, England. Her parents were Anne Boleyn and King Henry VIII. Elizabeth's mother was her father's second wife. Her father got rid of his first wife because she didn't deliver him a healthy male heir. So her father broke away from the Catholic Church and formed the Church of England that he was the head of 
So there was a lot of pressure on Elizabeth's mother to deliver a son. Anne Boleyn never did give King Henry VIII a son that could take the Tudor throne. That would have deadly consequences. Anne Boleyn was beheaded on May 19, 1536. King Henry VIII said that Anne was executed because she committed adultery, incest, witchcraft, and treason. But really, her only crime was that she hadn't birthed a son that wasn't a stillborn. Elizabeth was two years old at the time of her mother's death. It is unknown how Elizabeth felt about her mother. But Elizabeth did leave behind a potential clue for us. When Elizabeth died, a ring was pried off of her finger. And inside the ring were two portraits. One portrait was of Elizabeth and the other was a mystery woman. People have speculated that it could have been Elizabeth's final stepmother, Catherine Parr, or it could have even been a younger version of Elizabeth herself. Or it's possible that it was Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn. When Elizabeth was born, she was the heir presumptive due to the fact that when Elizabeth's father annulled his marriage to his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, it made King Henry VIII's daughter and Elizabeth's half-sister Mary illegitimate. But before King Henry VIII had Anne Boleyn beheaded, he had his marriage to Anne annulled. Elizabeth was now also illegitimate and taken out of the line of succession. She was no longer Princess Elizabeth, but Lady Elizabeth. Elizabeth was baptized on September 10, 1533. Her godparents were Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury, Henry Courtney, First Marquess of Exeter, Elizabeth Stafford, Duchess of Norfolk, and Margaret Walton, Dowager Marchioness of Dorset. Elizabeth had dark brown eyes, her nose rose in the middle, her lips were thin, her cheekbones were pronounced, and her golden red hair was either curly or wavy. Later on in life, Elizabeth's teeth would turn black and fall out due to her love of sweets. Elizabeth was educated well and was educated by male tutors including Cambridge humanist Roger Ascham. This was unusual for a girl during this time. Elizabeth was educated in language and grammar. She was fluent in Latin, French, Italian, Dutch, and of course English. She was competent in Greek and Spanish. She could speak in Welsh, Cornish, Scottish, and Irish. She was educated in theology, history, rhetoric, logic, philosophy, math, and literature. Elizabeth was one of the most educated women of her time. Even as a child, Elizabeth had the seriousness of an adult. When Elizabeth's half-brother Edward was born, Elizabeth was placed in Edward's household. Elizabeth was the one that carried Edward's baptismal cloth at Edward's christening. Margaret Bryan was Elizabeth's first governess, 
but Catherine Ashley became her governess in 1537. Even though Elizabeth never really got to know her mother, she still had mother figures in her life. Anne of Cleves was one of her stepmothers, and they were close. They even visited with each other after King Henry VIII had his marriage to Anne of Cleves annulled. But Elizabeth's biggest mother figure was her final stepmother, Catherine Parr. When Elizabeth was 12 years old, she translated her stepmother Catherine Parr's book, Prayers or Meditations, from English to Italian, Latin, and French as a New Year's gift for her father. Catherine helped make King Henry VIII and his children a family. In 1544, Henry passed the third act of succession. This put Elizabeth back in the line for the throne. With the third act of succession, Edward and his heirs were first in line, then any children King Henry VIII may have with Catherine Parr and their heirs were next, then Elizabeth's half-sister Mary and her heirs, then Elizabeth. Elizabeth was still illegitimate, but now it was a possibility that she would be queen. The possibility was slim, but it was still a possibility. Elizabeth had a great relationship with her stepmother, Catherine Parr. When King Henry VIII died on January 28, 1547, Catherine got custody of Elizabeth. Elizabeth's half-sister Mary told Elizabeth to never speak to Catherine because Catherine had married Thomas Seymour in secret shortly after King Henry VIII died. Elizabeth's half-siblings Mary and Edward thought Catherine got married too soon after their father's death. Catherine had been in love with Thomas Seymour before she even married the king, so for her, she had waited a very long time. Elizabeth went against what Mary said and moved in with Catherine and Thomas because Catherine was a mother to her. Elizabeth and Catherine were close, but Thomas Seymour would soon get in the way of that. I wanted to give you a warning here that I am about to start talking about the sexual assault part of this episode. So if you need to skip over this part, I completely understand. And again, I will leave a timestamp in the description of when I stop talking about the sexual assault. So if you want to continue on with the episode after that, you can. Alright, now let's continue on with Elizabeth's story. Thomas Seymour was sneaking into Elizabeth's room at night and climbing into bed with her while they were both still in their nightgowns and he was tickling her. He would even sometimes smack Elizabeth on her bottom. He walked in on her while she was naked. Elizabeth's governess Catherine Ashley let Catherine Parr know what was going on. Catherine dismissed it as innocent fun. Catherine would even join Elizabeth and Thomas in bed sometimes. There was one time where Catherine held Elizabeth down as Thomas ripped Elizabeth's nightgown off with a sword. A pregnant Catherine Parr stopped believing that it was all just innocent fun when she saw the two embracing. 
After that, Catherine sent Elizabeth away. Elizabeth and Catherine never saw each other again before Catherine's death on September 5, 1548. Elizabeth had lost, yet again, another mother. After Elizabeth was sent away, Elizabeth came down with an illness. She took to her bed and rumors started to fly that Elizabeth had gotten pregnant by Thomas Seymour and she had given birth. Most historians do not believe the rumors to be true. When his wife died, Thomas Seymour didn't wait long to move on. Thomas was ambitious. He wanted to be the Lord Protector. That was a job that was filled by his brother Edward Seymour. And he also wanted to make Elizabeth his wife. It is possible that he asked a 13-year-old Elizabeth to marry him before he even married Catherine Parr. With his wife dead, he returned to his pursuit of Elizabeth. He asked Thomas Perry, Elizabeth's trusted advisor, quote, whether her great buttocks were grown any less or no, end quote. Catherine Ashley, Elizabeth's governess, was infatuated with Thomas Seymour, and she started to tell Elizabeth that Thomas had loved Elizabeth and not Catherine Parr all along. Thomas Seymour had Thomas Perry ask Elizabeth if she would exchange some of her property for property that was closer to his. Thomas Perry told Elizabeth that he believed that Thomas Seymour was interested in marrying her. Elizabeth's response was, quote, If and when that comes to pass, I will do what God puts in my mind to do, end quote. It is unknown why Elizabeth didn't turn Thomas down right away. It is possible that Thomas Seymour's grooming had worked on Elizabeth, and she had developed feelings for him. Elizabeth's response gave Thomas hope that he had a chance with her. Both Elizabeth and Thomas knew that they couldn't discuss marriage with each other without the approval of council. King Henry VIII's will forbid it, and the council had already banned Thomas from discussing marriage with Elizabeth. So Thomas decided to skip the council and go straight to the king. Thomas Seymour showed up in the king's apartments on the night of January 16, 1549. He had a weapon with him, either a pistol or a dagger. His intentions are not known. Some believe that he had plans to kill the king, or he could have had plans on kidnapping him. It could also be possible that he just wanted to talk to the king and convince him to let him marry Elizabeth and replace Edward Seymour as Lord Protector. The mission didn't go as planned, and Thomas ended up killing King Edward VI's beloved spaniel after it started barking. It is possible that the king was even in on the kidnapping attempt, but Edward mourned the loss of his beloved dog, and so he did not come to the defense of his dear uncle. Thomas Seymour was arrested and then beheaded. Elizabeth was questioned to see if she had any involvement in Thomas's plans, but it was determined that she did not, and she was let go. Elizabeth showed no emotion when she was told about Thomas's execution. King Edward VI died on July 6, 1553. He had no children. The next in line for the throne should have been Elizabeth and Edward's half-sister Mary, but Edward changed the line of succession. Edward was a Protestant just like Elizabeth was, but Mary was a Catholic. 
King Edward VI's reign brought forth a lot of religious reform. Edward's council didn't want to see that undone by Mary, and so Edward took both Mary and Elizabeth out of the line of succession, and he named his second cousin, Lady Jane Grey, his heir. Lady Jane Grey was also a Protestant. It was no coincidence that Jane's father-in-law was Edward's top advisor. He was a man by the name of John Dudley. Mary refused to give up her crown, and she formed an army. The council knew that John Dudley had no chance of winning against Mary and her army, and so they switched their support to Mary. Elizabeth rode into London at Mary's side. Mary did what many Protestants feared she would. She made England Catholic again. During her reign, many Protestants fled the country, and many that stayed were executed, most of them by burning. Many did not like Mary's choice of a husband. She married King Philip II of Spain. Many Protestants wanted to replace Mary with Elizabeth. This led to the Wyatt's Rebellion. The Wyatt's Rebellion was led by Thomas Wyatt the Younger. He was the son of the Thomas Wyatt that Catherine Howard saved from execution. The rebellion was not successful. On March 18, 1554, Elizabeth was imprisoned in the Tower of London. She was interrogated to see if she had any involvement in the Wyatt's Rebellion. She denied having anything to do with the rebellion. Those at court that supported Mary believed that she wouldn't be safe as long as Elizabeth was alive. Stephen Gardner, you may remember him from the Anne Askew episode or from the Mary the First of England episode. He wanted to put Elizabeth on trial, but lucky for Elizabeth, she also had supporters at court. William Paget, first baron of Paget, convinced Mary to spare Elizabeth. On May 22, 1554, Elizabeth was removed from the Tower of London and put under house arrest in Woodstock. People cheered for her along her way. She would spend almost a year under house arrest. On April 17, 1555, Elizabeth was called back to court because her half-sister Mary was about to give birth. Months passed and no baby arrived. Mary had a hysterical pregnancy. Mary would never have a child and she died on November 17, 1558. Elizabeth was never supposed to be queen. She had been declared illegitimate, and she was third in line for the throne. But when her half-sister Mary died, Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth I. Elizabeth was crowned queen on January 15, 1559, by Owen Oglethorpe in Westminster Abbey. That day is important because that was the day that Elizabeth's astrologer John Dee told her that she should be crowned. Elizabeth trusted John throughout her life and believed that he had magical powers. Choosing her coronation day was not the only thing that she entrusted him with. She turned to him for help with political, economic, and social affairs. So, what was Elizabeth like as the queen? What did she do? Well, for starters, she was not her half-sister Mary. Elizabeth was a Protestant, but 
she didn't set out to rid her country of Catholics. At least not right away, but more on that in a little bit. In fact, she even kept some Catholic symbols like the crucifix. Elizabeth was able to find a middle ground between Protestantism and Catholicism. The 1559 Act of Supremacy made Elizabeth Supreme Governor of the Church of England. She was not called Supreme Head because of sexism. Men believed that a woman could not have that title, even a queen. Public officials had to swear an oath of loyalty to the monarch as Supreme Governor or they were disqualified from office. An act of uniformity was passed. It was now against the law to Miss Church. Also, the 1552 Book of Common Prayer was to be used. Though, even though these were now laws, the punishment of breaking the law was not harsh. Another way that she differed from her half-sister Mary was marriage. Early on in Mary's reign, she wanted to find a husband so she could have a child and continue the Tudor line. Elizabeth was another story, but that doesn't mean that Elizabeth didn't have suitors. I have already talked about Thomas Seymour, but he wasn't the only one. King Henry VIII had proposed that she marry Danish Prince Adolf Duke of Holstein Gottorp in 1545, but nothing came of that. Edward Seymour, Duke of Somerset, suggested that she marry Prince Frederick who would become King Frederick II of Denmark, but nothing came of that either. One of her suitors was her brother-in-law, King Philip II of Spain. Philip tried for months after the death of Queen Mary I to get Elizabeth to marry him. Elizabeth had no interest in her half-sister's widower. Parliament also didn't want Elizabeth to marry him. Elizabeth had a childhood friend named Robert Dudley and she was in love with him. But there was one problem. Robert was already married to a woman named Amy Robstart. On September 8, 1560, Amy was found dead. It's most widely believed that her fall down the stairs was just an accident, but it could have been suicide. Amy was depressed and she was suffering from breast cancer. In 1560, it was also seen as a possibility that Amy was murdered. Those that didn't like Robert Dudley and didn't want to see him marry Queen Elizabeth leaned heavily into the rumors that Amy was murdered, and some suspected that Robert murdered his own wife so he could marry Elizabeth. Some even wondered if Elizabeth had anything to do with Amy's death. A jury found Robert not guilty of murdering his wife, but... Even after the trial, rumors and whispers continued. Those closest to Elizabeth even helped spread those rumors. William Sissel, Elizabeth's principal secretary, and Nicholas Throckmorton, the English ambassador in France, both spread the rumors for their political and personal gains, despite knowing that Robert had nothing to do with his wife's death. After the death of Amy Robstart, Elizabeth wanted to marry Robert Dudley. But too many nobles didn't like Robert, and the scandal of his wife's death surrounding him was too much. It was feared that there would be nobles that would revolt if they did get married. So Elizabeth never got to marry the love of her life. 
King Eric XIV of Sweden was also another possible husband for the queen. Sweden was also a Protestant nation, so a marriage between the two seemed like a good match. But in 1560, Elizabeth sent him a letter saying that she didn't reciprocate his feelings. Eric had tried for years to win Elizabeth's affections, even against his father's own wishes. But Elizabeth made her feelings clear, and Eric gave up. In 1561, Elizabeth came down with a mysterious illness. She couldn't get out of bed, and her body was swollen. You may have heard Elizabeth be called Gloriana, or Good Queen Bess, or the Virgin Queen. But whether or not the Queen was an actual virgin is unknown. People questioned her virginity even in her time. There were Catholics that believed that she engaged in, quote, filthy lust, though I hardly doubt they would have doubted her virginity if she had been a Catholic. King Henry IV of France said that one of the great questions of Europe was, quote, whether Queen Elizabeth was a maid or no, end quote. It didn't help stop the questions of whether or not Elizabeth was indeed a virgin when in 1559 Elizabeth moved Robert Dudley's bedchambers next to hers. In 1587, a man by the name Arthur Dudley was arrested in Spain. It was suspected that he was a spy. He claimed that he was the love child of Queen Elizabeth I and Robert Dudley. Arthur Dudley's age put him being born during Elizabeth's mysterious illness. Arthur is not the only rumored child that Elizabeth had. I have already mentioned the rumored child that she had with Thomas Seymour. She is also rumored to have had multiple children with Robert Dudley. There was a rumor that Henry Rousley, 3rd Earl of Southampton, was her son that she had with Edward D. Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford. There are even theories that the 17th Earl of Oxford was also her son. But the actual likelihood that Elizabeth had any children is incredibly slim. Elizabeth was heavily watched and she had enemies that were just waiting to find a way to ruin her reputation and take her throne. Was she a virgin her whole life? Well, that is a question that only Elizabeth and her possible lovers could answer. In 1560, there was a French presence in Scotland that made Elizabeth nervous. She feared that they would make their way into England and put her Catholic cousin, Mary Queen of Scots, on the English throne. Mary did have a claim. She was the granddaughter of King Henry VIII's sister, Margaret. Mary was also legitimate. There was a growing Protestant population in Scotland, and with Mary in France, Protestants saw an opportunity. So did Elizabeth. She aided the Protestant rebels. The Treaty of Edinburgh of July 1560 removed the French presence in Scotland. Mary returned to a country in 1561 that was ran by Protestants that Elizabeth supported. In 1563, Elizabeth proposed the idea that her cousin, Mary Queen of Scots, should marry Robert Dudley. What better way to keep an eye on the person that had a claim to your throne than to have them marry your favorite? Elizabeth didn't even ask 
either of them if they wanted to marry each other, which they didn't. The marriage of Mary Queen of Scots and Robert Dudley, who would become the Earl of Leicester in 1564, never happened. But Mary did marry someone in 1565. She married Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley. This added fuel to an already intense fire, because Lord Darnley had his own claim to the English throne. Lord Darnley turned out to be an asshole, and he ended up being murdered. It is with almost certainty that he was killed by James Hepburn, 4th Earl of Brothwell, in February of 1567. Mary then married the Earl. It is possible that the Earl forced her into the marriage. People were not happy about Mary's new husband. It made people wonder if she had anything to do with Lord Darnley's death. Mary needed to flee Scotland. Mary thought Elizabeth would help her, and at first, Elizabeth was going to help her cousin and put her back on her throne. But instead of sending Mary back to Scotland with an English army, she had Mary imprisoned. Mary was imprisoned for the next 19 years. In 1569, Thomas Percy, Earl of Northumberland, and Charles Neville, Earl of Westmoreland, led the revolt of the Northern Earls. Both men had sworn loyalty to Elizabeth, but both men were also Catholic. The goal was to free Mary and put her on the English throne. It didn't work. After the unsuccessful revolt, over 750 were ordered by Elizabeth to be executed. Pope Pius V in 1570 issued a paper bull. It stated that Elizabeth had usurped the throne. It called her a heretic that was wicked. It urged Catholics to defy her. The Pope excommunicated the Queen, and Catholics that didn't defy her risked being excommunicated themselves. Elizabeth was angry. She had been tolerant to religious freedom compared to many rulers before her. Tolerance would be something that Elizabeth would no longer have. William Cecil said that those who didn't swear allegiance to Elizabeth should be executed. The revolt of the Northern Earls was not the only plot to replace Elizabeth with Mary that took place. The Rodolphi plot happened in 1571. Roberto Rodolphi was an international banker, and you probably guessed it, he was a Catholic. Roberto wasn't the only one involved in the Rodolphi plot. The people involved were Griao de Espes, he was the Spanish ambassador to England. John Leslie, he was the Bishop of Ross. The third Duke of Alba, he was the leader of the Spanish army in the Netherlands. His army was to invade England and put Mary on the throne. King Philip II of Spain, he discussed the plot with Roberto. The goal of the plot was to kill Elizabeth and make Mary Queen of Scots, Queen of England. Philip supported the killing of the woman that he once asked to marry him. Pope Pius V made Roberto his papal agent. The plot had the Pope's written approval. Thomas Howard, 4th Duke of Norfolk, he was Elizabeth's second cousin. He was to marry Mary, and together they would make England and Scotland Catholic countries again. 
And the last person involved in the plot was Mary, Queen of Scots. Mary thought at first that Elizabeth was going to restore her to her Scottish throne or she would send her back to France. As time went on, it was clear that Elizabeth wasn't going to do either. And so Mary started plotting for her freedom. After Elizabeth found out that Mary was involved in the plot, she didn't believe it. But Elizabeth never again talked about getting Mary back on her throne. Elizabeth found out about the plot because she had an excellent network of spies. And also, Roberto was a talker. And he talked about the plot all across Europe. He avoided execution and he died in 1612 at the age of 80. The Spanish ambassador to England was expelled from England after his involvement was found out and Thomas Howard was executed. Elizabeth kept getting more weary of Catholics with every revolt and every plot. In 1581, she made it illegal to convert someone to Catholicism with the intent to withdraw allegiance from Elizabeth. Doing so was treason and it was punishable by death. The Rudolphi plot was not the last plot to kill Elizabeth and give Mary her crown. The Throckmorton plot in 1583 was also a plot that was created to assassinate Elizabeth and make Mary the Queen of England. This plot encouraged Catholic nobles in the north of England to rise up against Elizabeth. The plot involved Francis Throckmorton, the Spanish ambassador, the French ambassador, King Philip II of Spain, and Mary Queen of Scots. The plot was foiled by Elizabeth's spy master, Sir Francis Walsingham. Francis Throckmorton was the go-between between Mary and Catholic nobles. Francis Throckmorton's house was searched and papers were found that proved that he and other Catholic nobles were involved in the plot. They also found papers that said that they were waiting on a French invasion. Francis Throckmorton confessed under torture. He said that the plot hadn't got far because they were waiting on financial support from King Philip II of Spain. Francis Throckmorton recanted his confession and said that he only confessed because he was being tortured. He was convicted of high treason and he was beheaded in 1584. The Spanish ambassador was expelled from England. And once again, Elizabeth didn't believe that Mary had anything to do with the plot. The bond of association was formed after the Throckmorton plot. Their goal was to prevent any future plots against Elizabeth. It was determined that anyone that plotted against the queen would be executed. By 1585, the word Catholic was seen as just another word for traitor. Cardinal William Allen didn't help his fellow Catholics when he likened Elizabeth to Lucifer, called her mother the infamous courtesan, and claimed that Elizabeth was an incestuous bastard. Despite the bond of association being formed, the plots against Elizabeth still continued. In 1586, Anthony Babington and John Ballard organized a plot to assassinate Elizabeth and replace her with Mary. This is known as the Babington Plot. Unbeknownst to them, they had double agents and spies involved in their plot. Anthony Babington was writing messages to Mary in code, but there was one problem. Mary couldn't receive any letters. That is because after the Throckmorton plot, Elizabeth cut off any and all communications to Mary. So Sir Francis Walsingham, Elizabeth's spy master and the double agent involved in the plot, 
came up with a plan to hide the messages in beer barrels. This plan was cooked up with William Sissel because they both wanted to get Mary involved in the plot so they could have her executed. Mary did write back asking about the plot and she gave her consent. It was the final straw. At first, Elizabeth didn't want to execute Mary. Kings and queens were chosen by God to rule. You couldn't just execute them. And if you could, what message was that sending to Elizabeth's enemies about her? But eventually, Elizabeth was convinced, and on February 8, 1587, Mary, Queen of Scots, was beheaded. Despite the fact that Mary lived in England for the last 19 years of her life, Elizabeth and Mary never met each other. They wrote to each other, but they never physically saw one another. After the execution, Elizabeth said that she didn't mean for the execution to actually be carried out. She blamed her secretary, William Davison, for implementing the execution without her knowledge. Historians, and even Elizabeth's contemporaries, doubted whether or not Elizabeth really didn't want Mary executed. The English occupied Le Havre, a city in France, and I apologize to all my French listeners if I just butchered that pronunciation. They were allowed to occupy the port due to the Treaty of Hampton Court signed on September 20th, 1562. This treaty provided English support to the Huguenots in France during the First War of Religion. Elizabeth's goal was to exchange the Havre for Calais. Calais was lost when Elizabeth's half-sister, Queen Mary I, and her brother-in-law, King Philip II of Spain, went to war with France. But Elizabeth offered little support to the Huguenots, and they turned against her and joined forces with Catholics and took over the port. In 1563, Elizabeth got smallpox. Many feared that Elizabeth was going to die. What would they do if she did? Elizabeth didn't have a husband, and she didn't have an heir. Who would rule? Would a civil war break out? People tried to get Elizabeth to name an heir, but she refused. She knew naming an heir would have put a target on her back. But England was not sent into chaos because Elizabeth survived. But she was left with smallpox scars that she covered up with white lead-based makeup for the rest of her life. The smallpox also made her half bald and she used wigs from then on. Elizabeth was smart and clever. She was known for her wit. She also had the temper of both of her parents. She is known for many of her quotes. One of her most famous quotes was said to Robert Dudley after he flirted with a woman named Latisse Knowles. More on her in a little bit. She said, quote, I will have but one mistress here and no master. End quote. In 1566, Elizabeth told the house that she still had plans to marry, and she continued to look for a match. Her next suitor was Archduke Charles II of Austria. He was King Philip II of Spain's cousin, and someone that Elizabeth seriously thought about marrying in 1567. She thought about it for over a year, but both Elizabeth and her council didn't feel comfortable with having an alliance with a Catholic country. 
1572, Elizabeth considered marrying Henry, Duke of Anjou. She was 39 and he was 21. He became King Henry III of France, but he did not become the husband of Queen Elizabeth I. Elizabeth was also courted by Henry's brother, Francis, Duke of Anjou, from 1572 to 1581. This was one of Elizabeth's most serious suitors. Francis courted Elizabeth in person. He was one of the few people to do that. At the beginning of their courtship, Elizabeth was 39 and Francis was 17. Elizabeth called Francis lovingly her frog, and Elizabeth wore a frog-shaped earring that Francis sent her. But England and France had been enemies for a long time, and many didn't want a French king. Her advisors warned her that if she married Francis, there could be riots. And so it was another match that never happened. This was Elizabeth's last serious suitor. People have speculated exactly why Elizabeth never married. That was rare for a royal and a woman of her time. Some have wondered if the abuse she suffered at the hands of Thomas Seymour had anything to do with her choice. Maybe it was because she was in love with Robert Dudley and she knew she couldn't marry him and so she decided to marry no one. It is possible that she remained single because she knew that she would have to share her power with her husband and she didn't want to do that. I think it may also be because she had poor examples of marriage surrounding her. Look at her own parents' marriage. It ended with her father ordering the beheading of her mother. She grew up watching how easy it was for her father to rid himself of the wives he no longer wanted. Then there was Catherine Parr that waited years to marry the love of her life, and I have already covered how that played out. Elizabeth's half-sister married a man that she adored, but he was indifferent to her and avoided her as much as possible. Elizabeth's reasons for not marrying could have been a number of reasons or a combination. I also want to point out here that the fact that Elizabeth remained unmarried for her entire life is a sign of privilege. During Elizabeth's time, it was pretty much a requirement for a woman to marry. Even a royal didn't really have a say in the matter. She didn't get to choose whether or not she got married or who she married for that matter. So the fact that Elizabeth remained unwed just showcases how powerful she was. Robert Dudley is considered the love of Elizabeth's life, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have some rocky times. While Elizabeth courted others, Robert remained in her life. On September 21, 1578, Robert Dudley married Latisse Knowles. Latisse was the woman that Elizabeth got angry at Robert for flirting with. Latisse was the granddaughter of Mary Boleyn, so Latisse was Elizabeth's first cousin once removed. Robert knew that Elizabeth would be angry, and so he tried to keep his marriage a secret. But word of his marriage did eventually reach Elizabeth, and she was furious, just like Robert had feared she would be. And as a result, Elizabeth banished Latisse from court. Queen Elizabeth I was the Queen of England and she was also the Queen of Ireland. Most of Ireland was Catholic. There were many uprisings in Ireland. To deal with the rebels, the Queen's men burned land and slaughtered men, women, and children. 
A revolt in Munster took place in 1569 to 1573 and again in 1579 to 1583, and it was led by Gerald Fitzgerald, 14th Earl of Desmond. This rebellion caused about 30,000 Irish people to starve to death. In the first Desmond Rebellion, most had surrendered by 1570. The second Desmond Rebellion was sparked by Pope Pius V excommunicating Elizabeth. It made many Catholics believe that it was more than their right to dethrone Elizabeth. It was their duty to God. James Fitzmaurice invaded Munster in 1579. He was killed on August 18, 1579, and John Fitzgerald took over the leadership of the rebellion. Gerald Fitzgerald stayed as neutral as he could for as long as he could, but he joined the rebellion when authorities named him a traitor. The crown put a bounty on Gerald's head, and he was hunted down and decapitated. His body was put on display on the walls of court, and his head was sent to Elizabeth. For the most part, Elizabeth tried to stay out of war. When it came to foreign policy, her approach mostly was to keep the peace. It was the opposite approach that her father had had, and financially England had paid the price for his wars. So Elizabeth tried to avoid war, but the relationship between England and Spain had been heated for a while. The Act of Supremacy and the repeated attempts King Philip II of Spain made to assassinate Elizabeth had definitely put a strain on the relationship. So from 1585 to 1604, even though it was never declared, England and Spain were at war with each other. The war started with English merchant ships being seized in Spanish harbors. Like most wars, both sides saw setbacks, but the most famous setback of this war belonged to Spain. In 1588, the Spanish Armada was getting closer to England, and an invasion was feared. During this time, Elizabeth gave one of her most famous speeches, and from that speech comes one of her most famous quotes. Quote, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king, and of a king of England too. End quote. England defeated the Spanish Armada. In 1587, Elizabeth had another suitor. His name was Robert Devereux, 2nd Earl of Essex. Elizabeth was 54 and Robert was 20. Robert was also the stepson of the love of Elizabeth's life, Robert Dudley. He was made master of the horse, just like Robert Dudley had been. In 1593, Elizabeth made him a member of her Privy Council. Robert never gave Queen Elizabeth the respect one was supposed to give a queen. He even one time ran into her bedchamber to defend his actions. In 1599, he went to Ireland to crush a rebellion, but he failed and signed a truce with the rebels. He was arrested and imprisoned for desertion. Robert wanted Elizabeth to declare King James VI of Scotland, the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, her heir. To do that, in 1601, he led a failed rebellion. He was then executed for treason. The betrayal of one of her favorites was utterly heartbreaking for Elizabeth. 
The shock of his betrayal is said to have aged Elizabeth considerably overnight. In 1588, shortly after the defeat of the Spanish Armada, Elizabeth suffered a devastating loss. On September 4th, 1588, Robert Dudley died. Elizabeth refused to leave her room. She kept Robert Dudley's last letter he sent her in her treasure box by her bed for the rest of her life. Elizabeth wrote on the letter, his last letter. The 1590s were an incredibly hard time for Elizabeth. A lot of her council died and she lost a lot of power. In 1591, Catholic households were interrogated and monitored. Also in 1591, Sir Walter Walling, a favorite of Elizabeth, married Elizabeth Rockmorton, a lady-in-waiting to Queen Elizabeth I. The marriage was a secret marriage that eventually Elizabeth found out about. Elizabeth was angry that they married without her permission. Elizabeth Rockmorton was dismissed from court and Walter was imprisoned in the Tower of London in June of 1592 but he was released from the tower in August of 1592. Also in 1592, London had an outbreak of plague. At least 15,000 died in London and another 4,900 died in the parishes that surrounded London. In 1594, Elizabeth's trusted physician, Dr. Rodrigo Lopez was executed for treason. Robert Devereux was mad at the doctor for telling others that he was treating Robert for venereal diseases. Robert found out that the doctor was in contact with Spanish officials, and he accused him of plotting to kill Elizabeth with poison. Dr. Lopez was threatened with torture, and he confessed. But he quickly recanted. He was tried and convicted. At his trial, the prosecutor, Sir Edward Coke, called him a murdering villain and a Jewish doctor worse than Judas. Elizabeth was not convinced of his guilt, and it took her three months to sign his death warrant. At his execution, he proclaimed his love for the queen and his love for Christ. The Dr. Lopez affair was proof that Elizabeth was losing power. From 1593 to 1603, England was dealing with the Nine Years' War also known as Tyrone's Rebellion in Ireland. England came out victorious, but all the wars had wreaked havoc on England's finances. Elizabeth gave her famous golden speech on November 30, 1601, in the Palace Council Chamber to 141 members of the Commons. Her speech was expected to address the financial concerns that England was facing, but instead it spoke about love. Love that she had for the members of Parliament, love that she had for her position as Queen, and love that she had for her country. It was the last time that Elizabeth addressed Parliament. In autumn of 1602, her health started to decline. The death of her first cousin, Catherine Carey, in February of 1603, hit Elizabeth hard and her health declined even more. In March of that year, Elizabeth became sick, but Elizabeth kept her wit and her fire to the very end. When Robert Cecil, the son of William Cecil, 
told the queen that she must go to bed, Elizabeth snapped back and replied, quote, Must is not a word to use to princes, little man. End quote. Elizabeth died on March 24, 1603, at Richmond Palace, between 2 and 3 a.m. She was 69 years old. She had reigned for 44 years. King James VI of Scotland was her heir, and after her death, he became King James I of England. Elizabeth was carried downriver on a barge lit by torches to Whitehall. Her funeral was on April 28, 1603. Her coffin was taken to Westminster Abbey on a hearse drawn by four horses hung with black velvet. She is buried on top of her half-sister Mary, and on their tomb there is a Latin inscription, and translated that inscription says, Consorts in realm and tomb, we sisters Elizabeth and Mary here lie down to sleep and hope of the resurrection. Elizabeth was the ruler of the Golden Age. She provided stability that England had never seen before. She made trade with Russia, Morocco, India, and the Ottoman Empire. She was a lover and supporter of the arts, including Christopher Marlowe and William Shakespeare. She was loved by her people. The state of Virginia and the United States is named after the Virgin Queen. Her popularity did take a dip at the end of her reign, but shortly after King James VI became the King of England, the people of England missed their queen. Elizabeth's legacy lives on today. Her story has been told not only on this podcast, but in many books and television shows and movies. And because of Elizabeth, England became a world power. And that was the life of Queen Elizabeth I. Thank you so much for listening to the 15th episode of the first season of History Shelf. And if you've been here since the first episode, thank you so much for listening to the first season. I think that I have proven that King Henry VIII was indeed an asshole. I hope you've had a lot of fun listening to this podcast. I know I've had a lot of fun making it, and there will be a season two. I'm not exactly sure on the date, but I was thinking sometime in January of 2023. If you follow this podcast on social media, you can stay up to date on all the History Shelf news, including the premiere date for season two. The Twitter for this podcast is at History Shelf Pod. The Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. And the Facebook is History Shelf Podcast. One last time, I want to remind you that I have created merch for this podcast. If you head on over to the Twitter for this podcast, underneath the bio is a link to the History Shelf store. I have also created a Patreon, and I have tweeted out a link for that. It is pinned to this podcast's Twitter page. This podcast is always going to be free, even in Season 2, but there are some perks that come along with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is called History Student, and that is $1 a month, and with that, I will send you out a thank you tweet. I will also acknowledge you on Instagram and Facebook. The third tier is called History Fan, and that is $3 a month, and with that, you get the first tier, and you also get to vote in a poll that helps me choose the next theme for the next season of this podcast which I haven't picked yet 
the next tier is called history buff and that is $20 a month and with that you get the first two tiers and you also get a handwritten note a thanks mail to you from me and the last tier is called history lover and that is $40 a month and with that you get the first three tiers and you get to pick one item from the merch store but as always you listening is the best support and there are some other ways that you can help out this podcast for free if you are listening on a platform that lets you rate it five stars if you do that that would be very helpful and also if you share this podcast on social media with your friends and family that will also be very helpful all right well until next season keep learning keep loving history and come back for next season bye